the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. Now, on that same day, two of the disciples were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all the, these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have taken place there in these days? He said to them, What things? They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who is a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they didn't find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they didn't see him. And he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Wasn't it necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about which himself, about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it's almost evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened to him on the road, and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. The Gospel of the Lord. Ever-present Christ, Holy One who walks beside us and ministers to us, teach us to remember, inspire our faith, and make our hearts to burn. Amen. In this morning's Gospel, we sort of go back in time 
we hear about Jesus on the day of resurrection as he's walking beside two of his disciples. Normally, we have to sort of search for ourselves in the scriptures. Where are we in the scriptures? But this morning, it's pretty clear because in this case, this is sort of the first telling of our story, or perhaps the very beginning of our story. The preeminent scholar of the Gospels, Helmut Kester, claims that this story is actually a retelling of the first Christian worship service. We see the pattern of our, what we are doing here this morning in this Gospel lesson. First, there's the recollection of the Scriptures, the retelling of the story, and then Jesus opens those Scriptures teaches them what it means, and then they gather around a table, share a meal, and in the taking, blessing, breaking, and giving of the bread, Jesus is made known to them. This is exactly what we have gathered here this morning to do. Those of us here are also on this road to Emmaus, and this story is beautiful. It's sort of an intimate moment, walking with Jesus, hearing the scriptures, and sharing a meal. Just the three of them together. Something so special about this moment that we recreate here this morning. I wonder what it was like for these two disciples. I can't help but thinking of them in the context of the trauma of the past three days, what they had lived through. Had they been there? Were they there when Jesus was betrayed, put on trial, mocked, and crucified? Were they there when he drew his last breath? We really don't know much about these two people except one of them was named Cleopas. We don't know exactly who this man was, but there is a Focus mentioned in the Gospel of John, or rather a woman who is identified as the wife of Clopas. These names could have referred to the same person. The Gospel writer of John says that she is the sister of Mary, the mother of Jesus, and that she was standing at the foot of the cross with Mary and other women when Jesus died. The New Testament scholar Francois Bovon suggests that the fact that the second disciple is not given a name when the other one is might mean that this is a woman. Following the conventions of the time, perhaps the man is mentioned and the woman is not, and that these two disciples weren't just disciples, but perhaps it was Clopas and his wife Mary, Jesus' aunt and uncle, returning home from Jerusalem to Emmaus, a tender moment. Whoever they were, they were immersed in grief, trying to make sense of all that had happened. The Gospel writer tells us that they were talking with each other about all these things. It's such an innocuous way of recounting the act of traumatized people who, after going through a harrowing ordeal, are trying to make some sense of it. You know, that's how I imagine they were that day. They weren't in sort of the 
seen immediate anguish of Good Friday, but the numbness of grief that comes when the songs have been sung, the rituals completed, and the body has been buried. The kind of grief that seems to move in and out of time. The numbness that doesn't allow the normal progression of moments. The unsureness and uncertainty that comes. And so, I imagine that they're walking along in this way, in this grief, and they're joined by a stranger. I imagine the stranger wasn't exactly welcome. I mean, he had the audacity to come up to them and ask them what they're talking about when they're just trying to make sense together. In that moment, at least I would have been annoyed. It's kind of like when you're on the tee and you're trying to do your own thing and listen to your music or complete your book or complete your thoughts, and somebody sits down next to you and just wants to chit-chat away and tell you about their life. So I don't think we can be... I don't think we can blame Cleopas if there's some sort of snarkiness in his voice as he responds. Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have taken place there in these days? They explain to this stranger what had happened, and he surprises them. He opens the scriptures to them and explains what all of the prophets and the law have said. And at that moment, the recognition is still clouded, but something within them stirs. Their hearts begin to burn within them. They insist the stranger stays with them, and it's while they're at table when he takes bread, blesses it, breaks it, and gives it to them. They finally realize who he is. And in that moment, their eyes were opened and they recognized him. He vanished from their sight. It's interesting that Jesus was intangible in recognition, just as he was when he was unrecognized. There was something ungraspable about him. We're told that the eyes of these two disciples were kept from recognizing him, and that they were only opened at the breaking of the bread. And this sort of has connotations of some sort of miraculous intervention, some divine closing and opening of the eyes. And while that might be present at one level, I wonder if something very human was going on at a different level. You see, grief, pain, trauma, anxiety, worry, loss, they all turn us inward. When we're in the middle of these intangible states, our vision is distorted. As we experience these painful moments, our vision almost gets squeezed and distorted, and we can't see the reality around us because of what's going on. And really, it's not all of our own fault. It's just the nature of things. It's the effects. We experience from being human and living all that life needs. In these moments, as I'm sure you are aware, it becomes difficult to see joy around us. Hope becomes elusive. Despondency fills our vision, and we cannot seemingly see beyond it. And what I would like to say here is that in these moments, all we need to do is look up. 
to change our perspective, to see Jesus walking beside us, that we're not alone in our grief, that the very power of new life and resurrection is walking beside us. And that's really good, and it's beautiful when in those moments we can do those things, but it's not always possible. It's not always possible to look up and immediately have hope restored, particularly when we're in the middle of grief and loss and trauma and anxiety. When those things are gripping our hearts, maybe it's not possible to see. Maybe when that happens, when that experience precludes the possibility of sight, our eyes are shut, our hearts are turned inward, and we can't see around us. But I think here is where the good news is, where the gospel is, because the disciples' inability to see didn't affect the presence of Jesus. Whether they could see him or not didn't matter because he was there with them, leading them, teaching them, walking the way with them. He didn't require their recognition or their calling out of his name in order to be present with them. And the same is true for us. Our inability to see Jesus walking beside us, our inability to feel God's presence within and around us doesn't negate God's presence. It doesn't drive Jesus away from our side. Perhaps it's just that we can't see the eyes of our heart are turned inward, buffeted by the hardships we are endured, but God is still there. This past week, I had a Bible study at Newbury Court with my colleague from Tricon, and we were talking about these difficult moments in life and sort of the platitudes that we say when they come about. But we also talked about remembering what God has done for us. It's something that's deep in our tradition. If you look in the Hebrew scriptures in the Psalms, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, then were we like those who dream. It's our tradition to remember when we can't see. One of the dearest people in my life has said to me time and again when I have despaired, she said to me, do you think God has brought you this far to abandon you? And hidden in those words are remember. Remember what God has done for you. And in these moments of spiritual blindness, when we can't see the truth around us, we can choose to remember, to ignite our faith, to make our hearts start to burn. This isn't just a mental exercise, part of that remembrance is gathering here, coming around the sacred table, finding Jesus in bread and wine. We don't just gather here because we're supposed to, but because we need to. We need to be reminded that Jesus is walking beside us when we can't see him. We need to feel God's presence in and around us when we can't feel it. We need 
our hearts burning within us because that is where our strength comes from. This is where we are refreshed and given what we need to continue on this journey. So this morning I hear the invitation to all of us being to walk the road of Emmaus that we're already on. Whether we can see Jesus or not, perhaps particularly if we can't see. Engage in the practice of remembrance here, the scriptures, sit at the table, and finally witness and experience the risen life giver in the breaking of the bread.